It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Dating apps have become one of the most common ways for people to meet and connect in the modern age. While it may be easy to swipe through options at your fingertips, you likely don't know the person you're interacting with. As reports about violence and assaults during dating app meetups surface within the news, it's important for users to feel and be comfortable and confident about the people they choose to pursue. However, with a lack of safeguards in place to protect and vet users, it can be difficult to determine whether or not a threat is present when agreeing to a date. Dr. Julie Valentine is a professor and researcher, formerly at Brigham Young University and joining University of Utah, who oversaw a study which identified the relationship between dating apps and violent sexual assaults. With her research and hard work, she developed a database of over 8,000 sexual assault cases, making it the largest of its kind. Her work has informed policies on both the state and national level. Dr. Valentine joins me now to explain her shocking findings and to shed light on the frightening dangers tied to these apps. Dr. Valentine, you oversaw the first large-scale study of the relationship between dating apps and sexual assault, and you found really horrifying results about the link between violent sexual predators and the use of dating apps to target vulnerable victims. Can you share about what you found and how you found it? Uh, Yes, Uh, I'm a forensic nurse and in our team, I'm I'm a researcher, but a practicing forensic nurse. And in our team of forensic nurses, we talked about how we were seeing more and more sexual assault cases where the uh, victim met the assailant on a dating app. And so as a researcher, we decided to actually evaluate what was going on. Were these rapes committed when somebody meets on a dating app different than other frequently called date rapes? Uh, And so we did a retrospective review of almost 3,500 sexual assault medical forensic examination charts. Um, And we found that out of those, about 8% were cases where the victim met the assailant on a dating app and was raped at the very first in-person meeting. There are many other rapes that occur from someone they met on a dating app, but in looking at the charts, It was really too hard to discern while they met on a dating app two weeks ago and the assault occurred or two months ago. So we had to limit it to when they met and they were assaulted at the first in-person meeting. And what we found was really pretty terrifying. Um, In terms of violence, we found that in these dating, what we term dating app facilitated uh, sexual assaults, about a third of the victims were strangled. When we see strangulation with rape and sexual assault, that's a higher degree of lethality. Uh, Strangulation really can be seen as attempted homicide frequently. 
um, and also causes increased fear uh, for the victim. We also found that these victims had more injuries because there were more assaultive or penetrative acts. Uh, victims had more anogenital injuries and 25% of the victims had breast injuries. So much more violent assaults. When we looked at the victims, we found that the victims had higher degrees of vulnerability, especially when we look at self-reported mental illness. We found that about 60% of the victims had self-reported some degree of mental illness. We know that increases vulnerability. Uh, and so we believe that violent predators use these dating apps really as hunting grounds uh, looking for vulnerable victims. So tell us why these dating apps are such fertile hunting ground for these violent predators. So dating apps can be pretty open hunting grounds because uh, people can be who they want to be on a dating app, right? Um, most dating apps now verify that the person is who they say they are with just a photo. But having your photo match or being able to respond with your cell phone really doesn't tell us anything about the background of the person, their intention in using these dating apps. And dating apps are set up so that in many dating apps, it's hard for victims to find the tools within the app to report. Uh, really concerning, we found that most dating apps don't even use the term sexual assault. Their reporting form says something like, um, if any physical violence happened, um, but we want them to call it out because we see that this is a really high degree of um, violent acts that occur from dating apps. And then these violent predators, they can just jump from one dating app to another dating app. Um, there's very little follow-up on what um, they are doing and, and very little regulation. So essentially the, the vetting process has been removed um, and the societal sort of scaffolding that we have in place when we have more organic meetups to your point about when you meet someone through a friend or at work or the like, and then there's no accountability as you just described, jumping from space to space and without those regulations. So can you describe what safety measures are in place or more importantly, what exactly is needed for women and users to stay safe? So dating apps for the most part currently approach safety through written safety guidelines that they advise users uh, to read. The challenge is that then places all of the burden on preventing a violent act from occurring on the potential victim. And we know we have a huge problem with rape and sexual assault of non-reporting. Well, when you consider a dating app, if a victim perhaps doesn't fully read or follow these safety uh, guidelines, they may feel this increased amount of self-blame and then they don't report. And if victims don't report, then we don't identify the predators. So that's, that's a huge problem. It actually really reinforces victim blaming in rape and sexual assault. Uh, there have been some 
movements towards doing background checks. Um, there's some challenges to that. Uh, background checks, um, many times different names are used um, and you likely don't have the accurate birth date of the person. And if, if a victim tries to do a background check and doesn't find anything, do they have this increased feeling like they are safe? We passed legislation in the state of Utah that we think is excellent legislation that increases some degree of regulation on the actual dating apps. It requires dating apps to openly state issues related to sexual assault to be very clear about mechanisms for reporting sexual assault, to be very clear to state that if you are a victim of sexual assault, that you are not to blame, and to provide resources um, for victims. So we are hopeful that other states will follow this legislation. We feel that this is just a first step uh, that more really needs to be done. What pushback have you received, if any, from legislators or regulators in this arena? Or is it an exposure challenge at this point? Like, what, what is the current climate such that it hasn't yet become more regulated, more heavily scrutinized? So, I mean, we really, when we look at the regulation of dating apps, it's, it's also all tangled up in some of the issues the Supreme Court has been looking at regarding um, how much regulation. Obviously, these are my patients um, that I see. I see the absolute trauma and how this changes their life. I am all for more regulation in this space. I think we'll have safer and healthier communities if we actually do provide increased regulation of dating apps and provide mechanisms for dating apps requiring them to share information between apps regarding uh, bad actors. We actually had uh, attorneys with Match.com and Match.com owns the bulk of the dating app companies uh, work with us on this legislation and they were uh, supportive. Um, I know I've gotten some feedback that some other legislation such as uploading a verified government ID has not gotten um, much support from dating app companies. I personally haven't seen that. We were advised that we would not have support for that, but that's one step um, actually uh, uploading a driver's license or ID to, to verify that would be helpful in being able to, to check backgrounds because currently that is not done. Um, so definitely this is a work in progress, I think, across states. And I hopefully that this becomes a national issue. Yeah. I mean, at the risk of sounding simple, that was what was going through my head earlier. You know, like if we could just have, if everyone could just take a photo of their driver's license and submit, I recognize to the dating apps points, I assume they're holding this point of view that it might dilute clearly their pool of participants, but a welcome exchange for a quality of participants and hopefully the massive plunge of this these kinds of horrific assaults. You know, it would seem to me that it's in the dating app's best interest to lower these terrible statistics and to come out publicly and say we are committed to lowering these statistics. 
I agree. I mean, I would love it if a dating app company reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like to work with you on your findings. I have not heard from any. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they should be very vested in this. And um, I know one of the things that I paid research assistants to sign up for multiple dating apps. So we, ex- we examined many. And there are many dating apps where uh, they will say, look for a verified user almost implying that that's some degree of safety. Well, to become a verified user, uh, you upload a photo, but then it says to strike a certain pose or do something and take a photo. And if they match, you get a star, you're a verified user. But the implication that 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 increases any safety is pretty negligible because it really does not do much more than say, yeah, that, that person matches that photo. And I argue as an attorney that that's almost color of authority. So, you know, we've all seen the psychological experiments where, you know, a guy wearing something that resembles a security guard, but absolutely does not all of a sudden approaches people and starts telling them, oh, walk here, do this. And people comply. Like there's sort of an immediate right. obedience and people's the the blue check and certain symbols that you realize, oh, all you have to do is pay for that or oh, you just had to, again, that verification, yep, that's me. And all of a sudden, this is supposed to impart something specific or more authoritative. To me, the dating apps, in my opinion, are giving a false sense of authority and protection and safety to that person. That would be part of my argument that I would make to them, given just the lack of actuality that's required to obtain one, and then that false sense of security that users, um, you know, mostly women, get to use. My, right. my next question is, you know, were you surprised um, by these results, by the high volume? Did you expect a certain amount of this, but were shocked at the amount or was everything a surprise or did nothing surprise um, you? When, yeah. When we, when we were gathering the research and doing the data analysis, um, I will say when we look at like year by year, we see the number of these dating app facilitated rapes just continue to climb. And this is an ongoing study that we're doing. So this is not a problem that's going away. This is a problem that's actually getting worse. Um, What shocked me was the information about the increased vulnerability of victims and then also the terrifying result of the high degree of strangulation, you know, 33%. What we also found in these cases is victims of rape frequently don't physically fight back after a certain point because they're oftentimes, I mean, my patients will tell me, I didn't know what else he was going to do to me. We found that in these dating app facilitated sexual assaults, victims were um, very, less likely to fight back with only like over 5% kicking and about 9% hitting. And for some people that don't understand the trauma associated with sexual assault, they might say, well, you know, wouldn't you really be fighting all in? Well, you have to remember, this is someone they don't even know, really. They met on a dating app. And for most of our victims, they will say something like, we met, he seemed like a really nice guy. Uh, There's one case that's kind of classic that sticks in my mind. They met for ice cream. They talked for about a couple hours. She thought, this is such a great guy. 
And then he's, they had a shared hobby. And so he said, come over to my apartment and I'll show you, you know, the items related to the hobby. And she went over to his apartment. And as soon as the door shut, he changed and she suffered this violent rape and strangulation. And um, that's a frequent story that we hear an event that happens to these victims. And so when they don't know this person, they're worried. Many of them would say, I thought he was going to kill me. And so if when they start to fight back, oftentimes they're hurt worse. They're mainly women. Uh, men are stronger physically. And so they thought uh, their brain, they were just trying to survive. And so they frequently thought, I just need to survive. I need to get through this. And so they do not fight back. There's something called tonic immobility that we also see with rape and sexual assault, where victims are so afraid and fearful, they go in somewhat of a frozen state. We think that's likely heightened because of the high degree of fear in these rapes. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Part of what's so terrifying about that quote classic example that you just cited is the seemingly innocuous and safe behavior and decisions and activities preceding that violent rape. So, you know, as a participant proceeds along her choices and, okay, well, you know, this, it's a public place. It's just ice cream. There's no alcohol involved. Um, You know, that the sort of minimal vetting process we've discussed earlier, that is non-existent. It took place during this safe initial phase. And then here's a shared hobby. And, you know, that to me, that's luring. Clearly, this right. entire thing is predatory behavior, but that is true luring, which is luring her to his home for the purposes of seeing that particular thing or engaging in that particular activity. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the instant switch. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying. What advice do you have for listeners who would like to continue using dating apps and want to do so in as safe a manner as possible? Right. I frequently get asked for advice on using dating apps for safety. I will give some advice, but I'm also going to preface it with uh, it's a little bit of a fine line because regardless of what anyone does, if they are a victim of rape or sexual assault, it is not their fault. And so if they opt to not follow these guidelines, that example I gave you, she did meet in a public place. She drove herself Uh, She followed all those guidelines, felt really good, like, you know, I'm, um, this is a nice person, Um, but then the person switched. So some advice to consider is since there really is minimal vetting process, you know, I met my husband at work, Uh, we had lots of coworkers that knew each other, you know, before dating apps, there was, there was a higher degree of vetting before people went out on a date. Think about ways to vet beyond just texting. You don't get to know somebody with texting. So consider meeting them in public place for a couple of times. Involve friends or family. Um, You know, go out on a double date before you are alone with them so that you have input from other people on on the vetting. Um, So all of that means taking things a little slower, right? 
um, for that vetting process, but it, it helps with safety. Um, it's always good to go with your phone fully charged. Uh, let uh, family or friends know who you are meeting and where you're meeting and what time you plan on being returning or, or being back. Um, I know many people that use dating apps have worked out a system with friends where they'll send a text and then they'll get a call. And, and if, uh, if they want the date to end or if they're feeling like there's a safety issue that they'll get a call and say, hey, something happened. And so they can they have an excuse to leave. That's an option. But consider back to the example I gave you where they met for ice cream, so innocuous. And, you know, there's, I, I go into my research talking about the dark personality traits that we see in violent offenders. We think that those are certainly prevalent in these um, uh, predators that uh, use the dating apps, but um, they frequently are very good at deception. And so um, in this situation, this uh, individual had been deceived while they were out for ice cream, right? And then things um, suddenly shifted when she was alone with him, um, but so good that she reported. Um, so those are some simple safety guidelines, but again, we don't want to put the burden for preventing the sexual assault smack only on the potential victims. I think that this is a societal issue and all of us need to say, hey, uh, this is an unsafe situation that we have created and we need to make some changes. Point well taken. And I think what I mean is, you know, and the reason that I phrase it the way that I did is because I also believe firmly in people being able to exhibit and enjoy their choices and decisions free of fear. And and so if people are drawn to the dating app world and, and want to continue or would like to join, you know, I, I believe firmly in supporting them, um, staying safe with whatever is within their control to your point. And then yes, advocating as a society and getting amplifying your words, your findings, your study and more to ensure that as a society, we make the statement that we too believe in protecting women and protecting men in these situations, that the fact that it is such a largely or seemingly overlooked and unregulated environment, I'm the first person to say that, you know, the more regulation is an encumbrance, but I'm the first person to say this is exactly the exception. This is exactly where I hope that there's as much as possible, as, as many safeguards as possible um, for those of us that operate in this criminal justice realm, there's no excuse for not pursuing that. There's no amount of capitalism or companies that can exist without fear or retribution when these statistics have been drawn so plainly before us. Your findings are are frightening and they are inarguable. What do you need from us, from the public? How can we help amplify this um, other than lobbying our elected representatives, is there anything in, in our close now that any action item that you can assign to listeners so we can help? I think an action item you, is really important that you stated is uh, your elected officials. Um, look at this legislation that we wrote in Utah. It's uh, very 
trauma-informed in its language. So I'm really proud of um, this bill. This was passed in 2023 in Utah. But I would just say overall, when we look at how do we decrease uh, rape and, and sexual violence, um, really there's two ways. We support survivors in coming forward. We know that uh, the majority do not. Um, only, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20% of rape victims report. And then when they report, we need to improve our prosecution of these cases because um, we need to identify uh, those predators that are in our society so that we can have safer and healthier communities. So support survivors. If someone tells you about a sexual assault, support them, ask them what you can do uh, to help and let them know that you believe them. The biggest myth out there is that there's a lot of false reporting in rape. There is some degree of false reporting and there's been a lot of research on it. It's about two to 8%, which is the same as other crimes. So when we have this false perception that there's a high rate and victims don't report. So as a society, uh, that's a, a huge point that we need to change to support all survivors. Thank you, Dr. Valentine, for your expertise, for your extraordinary effort and dedication in this field, for that eye-opening study, um, and for your continued advocacy. We are here as a messenger for your good works and your message. So please know that um, you can come to us at any point for us to help. And I'm so grateful for your work every day on that micro level, by the way, because I know you're changing lives of all of these young people who are dealing with this unfortunate and terrible trauma, um, as well as up the chain, how much good work you're doing in the form of legislation. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Dr. Valentine, for your incredible work. Coming up, I'm joined by Scott Berkowitz, president of the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, to discuss how the organization works to provide resources to protect dating app users. Don't go away. More of the Fox True Crime podcast next. The Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, otherwise known as RAIN, is the largest anti-sexual violence organization in the country. RAIN has an extensive catalog of materials and information to help people stay safe when it comes to online dating, as well as critical resources for people who have survived sexual assaults and violence. Scott Berkowitz is the founder and president of RAIN. Today, he joins me to provide important steps and safety precautions for users to take when meeting people both online and in person. So, you know, meeting meeting folks through a dating app is is the norm now. And you've got to think about it just like you think about meeting someone in person. It comes with all the potential um, for a great match, but it also comes with all the real world risks that stem from from meeting someone you've never met before. You can, you know, at the early in the uh, conversation, engage someone online for a little bit and and through through chat and email um, until you're at the point you're you're comfortable and ready to to meet in person. Be willing to quickly shut down anybody who who talks to you inappropriately or 
crudely or asks for photos or asks for um, asks for anything that seems inappropriate for for someone you've never met. When you're ready for uh, to meet in the real world, do it in a very public place. Do it in a restaurant. Do it in, do it in a place where there's going to be lots of, of folks around. Make sure you've got friends who know where you are. Check in with them. Uh, uh, text them when you get there. Text them when you leave. Just making sure that there there are folks who are going to be who are going to know to watch out um, and and uh, and reach out to help you if if they don't hear from you um, or or if anything goes wrong. Given that rain which is what you founded, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Um, you know, your programs have helped more than 300,000 survivors and their loved ones. You've helped more than 3.7 million since 1994. Um, and part of RAIN operates a national sexual assault hotline. What can you tell us about the work that RAIN does and how it dovetails in with online dating? Absolutely. We offer a few programs that that help in this area. So for for survivors or, or someone who wants to talk through a, a bad experience, um, the National Sexual Assault Hotline offers free confidential help 24-7. Um, you can get help by phone at 1-800-656-HOPE. Uh, you can also get help through online chat at hotline.rain.org, and that's RAIN with two N's. We also do some work directly with companies that that run online dating sites. Um, so we've worked a lot with with Match Group over the years, um, which owns Tinder and Match.com and many other brands. We've helped them set up their apps so that people are able to to make complaints in the moment, so that Match can follow up on them and make sure that that they're doing everything to protect members and to make sure that there are no perpetrators on, on their platforms. Um, so there's, we've seen a big increase in recent years in, in online dating companies um, taking proactive steps to help with safety of their users. And what does you know, that look like? What exactly is a proactive step? A proactive step is uh, tips within the app. It, it's ways, easy ways to request for, for um, nude images and conversation that is that is inappropriate not just related to um, to sexual topics but but also if if someone is speaking inappropriately about about race about gender speaking disrespectfully there's there's generally tools now within the apps to to do something about it in real time Um, and a little more specific as well about how someone so we sort of got over the basics and i understand so so caution at what information is being asked of you what topics and the like we've talked about meeting in a public place and the like what do viewers or listeners not know what is something um that is perhaps not readily available for uh intuition or common sense that that women and men can be armed with as they pursue the online dating environment Partly I'm speaking from someone who's never online dated. I don't even know what an app looks like in that <laughs> way. So any specificity would be really helpful. One of the best ways to reduce the risk of, of sexual assault is um, is through the help of bystanders. Um, you know, we encourage, we, we try and teach folks to watch things that are going on and to be willing to step in if if they see something that looks, that makes them uncomfortable. Um, so an example for for someone on a on a first date with someone they've met through an app 
is get there a few minutes early and talk to the bartender or talk to the talk to the waitress and let them know you're meeting somebody for the first time and and you know and ask them to keep an eye on on the table make sure that if you get up that your partner doesn't put something in your drink um make sure that if if it sounds like there's an argument or or there's some something that looks like it could turn into violence that they step in to help give you an easy out um, to make it less confrontational or to or even to ask ask the person you're with to leave if if they're overly aggressive and then broadening it out a little bit further to just the dating world in general how has um sort of post covid and a lot of differences in terms of what restaurants look like nowadays and urban centers look like nowadays how has that impacted your work what trends have you seen um you know we've seen this we've seen a steady increase in um in the use of dating apps and the and the percentage of people who find their partner through online dating so I, that even accelerated some um during covid i think what has what we've seen more in the last you know maybe year and a half since the country started opening back up is a lot of relationships that really started out as just video became real life relationships and and people became much more comfortable meeting in person um and of course that that increases the level of risk um any meeting these people for the first time even if it's someone that you have a have a good relationship with online it can be different once you get in front of them Thank you so much Scott. Is there any final words, final tips, final thoughts you'd like to leave listeners with? Stick to what you're most comfortable with. Talk to your partner. Don't rely on your partner for for transportation and, you know, and once again enlist your friends to help. If something does happen, it's important to know that it it wasn't your fault no matter what you did or didn't do. Rape is is always the fault of the perpetrator. So, you know, we encourage you if something God forbid does happen please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Thank you Scott and thank you for your work in this really important field and you're right. Never feel shame in speaking out. It is never your fault. Thanks very much. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast@fox.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.